0: Please keep in mind that past performance is not indicative of future performance. In this episode, I'm joined by Stephen Arnold, co-founder and chief investment officer of the AORUS International Fund. In the next 30 minutes or so, Stephen is giving us his thesis and pitch on Accenture, Accenture is the global IT consulting business, which is listed on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker code ACN. If you like our Stock Pitch episodes, please let me know. You'll find my contact information on our website, where you can request guests, new stocks, and new ideas for future episodes. Stephen, welcome back to the podcast series. It's great to have you on. Great. Thank you, Art. Thanks for having me. Uh, Many of our listeners will be familiar with you and AORUS and and your international fund. Um, People who don't know, I should give the introduction to you. You're the founder and chief investment officer of the AORUS International Fund. Um, We've done an episode together in the past, which was this longer form uh, interview where we dived into your investment process, portfolio construction and business. In this episode, we're going to take a a bit of a different tact and we're going to focus on an individual company. And this is something that's been requested from our listeners. They said, they said to me in, in a questionnaire, you know, we really like the guests, such as yourself. It'd be great if you could have them back on to, to talk through an idea. And I know you've got some great ideas. And, and what makes um, you so unique and, and the fund that you've set up so unique? It's concentrated, you back yourself, um, you know, your business first. So it's, it's a really interesting discussion. But not only that, um, you also share your research or at least some of your research and and provide in-depth commentary on every company in your portfolio on your website. So people, if I'm not mistaken, Stephen, could go to
1: your website, see the companies that you hold, correct? They they can see not only the names and logos of the companies in the portfolio, all of them, uh, but if you can click through and you can see a brief description. So, uh, some of those names will be well familiar with people and Nike being a good example, others less familiar and with about half or two thirds of the stocks in the portfolio, we've even got a short corporate video, which can really make life visually what some of these amazing businesses do. So I would certainly encourage people to visit um, that uh, insight section of our website to explore the portfolio a bit more.
0: Yeah, I'll put in some show notes um, in so people can go directly to it. And I think it's great because if you're, if you're an avid investor like I am, you can jump on and see what, a great investor such as yourself is buying and the research your team is doing. Um, and you can do that with almost full transparency, which is fantastic because, um, you know, some of the larger funds don't disclose all of that. When I say larger, I mean more holdings, they don't disclose all of their positions. So it's, um, it's a bit of a mystery sometimes what else is in the fund, but with you, you can just see it all, which is great. Um, before we get to the, to, to this, the company or stock that we're talking about today, I thought I'd just highlight something that came out of your, your most recent quarter report, quarterly report from the June quarter, and in it you talked about um, some of the headlines that we've seen in the media recently with the coronavirus crash and then subsequent recovery. There's there's a lot of people saying you know it, there's there's bargains to be had. There's other people saying that you know it's it's risen too fast too soon. I'm interested to get your take on this and whether you agree or disagree with any of those points of view and how you kind of see things at the moment.
1: Uh, yeah, I guess it opens up a whole interesting box of you know what investing is all about. Uh, and I think there's there's some you know, common misperceptions. One, that uh, through owning shares, you own a piece of the economy and the fortunes of what you, you own will move in uh, with a high correlation to the economy. And, and I think that's simply not true and the evidence would suggest that's the case. Um, unless perhaps you own highly cyclical businesses, very much fair, whether businesses like a cement company or a steel business or um, a, a bank perhaps their GDP and the vicissitudes of the economy really all matter um, I think the other thing people um, it's useful to think through well um, if I own if I own shares or a managed fund or an individual share uh, do I own, own the whole equity market and we certainly encourage people to think that um, a, a share is exactly that a share of a business uh, and so to try and peel back the, the layers when you own a fund you don't own the equity market in aggregate uh, unless of course you own an index fund, which, which, when you, of course you do, uh, but if you're not an index investor, then you are you're an active investor, and if you're an active investor, you own businesses. That's certainly how we think about it. Um, you own a, a claim on the fortunes, the value, the value creation of individual businesses. Um, so I think now's a great time to be thinking like that. Not all the businesses are the same. Not the fortunes. The long-term value of these businesses are not defined by what happens in 2020, um, and but we you, you certainly want resilient businesses that can not only survive but thrive through these testing periods, and it certainly will separate the um, the great, the good, um, the average, and, and everyone else. Yep. So that's that's very much our mindset, and I think it's a useful one to have to remember that by owning uh, equities, then you own individual businesses.
0: And I think particularly too, it's important to highlight that we're talking about you know if you're a long-term investor here. You you benefit from the business and the growth of that in business and internal economics. And one of the things we're going to get to with this company, I'm sure, um, is is, I guess just the attributes that go into creating such a a fantastic business and compounder. And I shouldn't delay any more, Stephen. The the company that we're going to talk about in this episode is Accenture. People may know it. I mean, I imagine most of the professionals that listen to this will know it. Um, Many investors, chances are, will know it. It's a $150 billion company, so it's quite a large business. But maybe I'll, I'll hand it over to you uh, to explain, I guess, the backstory of the business, a bit of the history, what it does today, and then maybe even how you came across it and, and what you found so appealing.
1: Oh, sure. Okay, look, it's an exciting one to unwrap, let's um, yeah, op- open the box and talk <laughs> about a wonderful business well. Um, yeah, certainly in recent years, p- p- before 2020, if you'd walked through most airports in the world, you would have seen signs to Accenture. Uh, The longer term corporate history uh, goes back to when they were part of Arthur Anderson. Some people may know it's it's an unfortunate uh, corporate tie, if you like, Uh, but Accenture, the accounting and consulting and IT business, uh, uh, they they separated from the broader Arthur Anderson business before uh, the Arthur Anderson folk ran into a lot of trouble. Um, So what Accenture today is the world's largest IT outsourcing and consulting business. And you know, let's sort of talk about some of the things that define the business, some of the things that makes it a really interesting business, and then we can you know, explore it in a bit more depth. Um, Accenture provides their services really to the global 2000, as they describe it, which means the world's largest uh, private and public sector and not-for-profit organisations. Um, and if you are thinking, of your business or mine or, or uh, many small businesses where to look for some IT help, well, there's basically a phone book of people you can call um, or, a, or a long Google search. <laughs> who could help me? Um, but if you, as you get larger, there are fewer people that can do the job. And that's a huge advantage for Accenture. Um, if you're a um, Toyota motor company, or if you're uh, Unilever, or if you're a large, if you're the US you know, Department of Health, perhaps, then how many people can you call? Well, it's, it's not that many. So 75% of the Fortune 500 um, do business with Accenture. Uh, not 95% of their 100 largest customers have been customers for more than 10 years. Um, So not only these durable relationships, not only do they have broad presence with the world's largest and most demanding organizations, but they're also very deep relationships. And one way of measuring that is, well, how much do the big customers spend with Accenture per year? And they have about 200 customers uh, that they define as diamond clients that spend 175 million US per year uh, with Accenture. Um, so that's, you can just get a sense of how much Accenture does these businesses and, and why they are very deep and long-lasting relationships.
0: It's, it's, it's interesting business because I look at it and I think of the traditional um, modes that we think about intangible. assets, economies of scale, intellectual property. There's so many things which I'm sure we'll get to in a moment. But maybe if we could go one step down from, okay, so that's kind of, we know what it does. What are, the different, what are the different, I guess, segments in the business and, I guess, the, why would a, a, a large blue-chip client come to Accenture
1: specifically? What, what problems would they be solving? Well, I think um, a key word I, I like to use with any business, and I think it's very, very important with Accenture, is, is relevance. And I think what's made Accenture such a good business is that they have constantly evolved over the last you know, two decades, say, to stay relevant to their customers solve today's needs. And I think they've done it in a way that their larger peers simply have not done. So if we go back uh, 10 or 15 years, Accenture might have been uh, hired to do a huge SAP implementation. What we're gonna do is replace a whole lot of IT, uh, put in a really modern SAP or perhaps an Oracle system, take a whole lot of costs out and outsource it to Accenture's operations in a lower cost country. But if that was all that they were doing today, it would be a lot less relevant business, a lot less valuable, and some of their peers have never really evolved from that. And Accenture has evolved, and it's been really the rallying cry of the company over the last you know, 10 or 15 years is rotate to the new. And that means digital, it means cloud, it means cybersecurity, um, it means all of the today's contemporary IT needs, it might mean creating e-commerce um, capabilities for a retailer perhaps, uh, or a manufacturer, it might uh, mean uh, enabling secure work from home environments. Um, but imp- impressively, they've been able to achieve that rotation without doing you know, two, two things, without either abandoning what they used to do. Um, of course, we'll still do big um, you know, cost lift-outs and SAP implementations, if if you like, but they can do that very cost-efficiently so they remain competitive in those legacy services, if you like. And secondly, they've been able to transform iteratively without doing, if you like, a transformational acquisition that so often blows up. And that's where, if you like, some of their peers, they slip behind, slip behind. Okay, we're now, we're now going to throw the Hail Mary pass. Mm. A big transformational acquisition to try and catch up and, and really so often it doesn't work. So Accenture's constantly impressed me by the iterative rotation to the new, which now all of those new services account for about three quarters of revenue. Um, and that comes from... Um, hiring people with relevant skill sets and of course that's uh, a very competitive marketplace, retraining tens of thousands of people a year uh, so that they can evolve their skill sets uh, and making lots and lots of small acquisitions that might bring groups of people that have very relevant skill sets. Um, So that's um, one way of thinking about why is Accenture going to be the um, go-to outsourcing and consulting company when in one of these you know, a very large global organisation needs help. And the other thing um, why Accenture does so well is it has a very broad offering and we can, if you like, mm. Rubik's Cube that, if you like, with a um, you know, slice and dice of what does broad mean? Well, broad means they operate in 180 countries and increasingly the world's largest organisations are global. Um, you know, Volkswagen just, doesn't just do business in Europe and um, Unilever doesn't just do business in one country. So, by the way, I've got a global organisation. Are you global? and we don't want a patchwork of IT uh, firms to help me um, in different countries. We want someone to be global. So that's number one. Uh, no, number two is that they do it a soup to nuts, if you like, all the way from um, consulting Will uh, come in and diagnose your problem and create a solution um, and then you know, build uh, or implement the IT solution and then run it for you if that's what you like. So they're being able to do that end-to-end, and the third dimension in which they have this very broad offering is um, right through an organisation. And increasingly organisations don't want to just transform a slice of the company. They want to transform everything. And so if I've got to take my HR to the cloud, maybe I've got to do the same on the manufacturing IT. Um, maybe I've got to create um, um, you know, cyber security in one part of the business. I've got to do it in everything. Um, so they're, they're you know, breadth across services. Uh, is. And probably a fourth dimension, if you like, is that they do it for so many industries. Um, And increasingly, um, companies don't want to just take best practices from their own direct peers, but maybe there's someone else in, if I'm an automotive company, I don't want to see what the best automotive company is doing. I want to see what the best telecommunications or the best uh, engineering Mm -hmm. business is doing in an IT area of my business that we want to pinch the world's best, not best in my industry. And that's another, if you like a fourth dimension where Accenture's breadth adds real value and relevance to their customers. Mm.
0: It's it's a business, I think, which goes, unless you're specifically looking for wide moat businesses, you might think, oh, it's a services company kind of thing. It's expensive, there's a lot of labor, you know, all these types of things. But when you look a bit deeper and you scratch below the surface, you can see that um, these, these are really sticky clients. These businesses rely on Accenture to handle complexity and do it at scale, like you said. I'm interested to know, Stephen, because it's such a large business, 150 billion dollars market cap. How do you and your team go about, I guess, do, doing your own boots on the ground research or getting it what we would call maybe an edge quote that's air quotes an edge um, over other investors who are looking at this business? And maybe you could take us through some of the unique um, due diligence steps you took.
1: Uh, yeah, look, that's a great set of questions about how do we see it or you know where where's a. Uh, um Diversion perception, if you like, what's the rest of the market missing? Um, I would say also that look, um, change is inherently good for this business. If the world doesn't change, then uh, they need less of what Accenture provides. So the world's changing a lot at the moment uh, and that keeps the company relevant, but there's never a period where the world just stands still. Um, and the other thing that's helpful is that they're IT agnostic. If you want Microsoft's Azure to take your business to the cloud, absolutely. If you want Amazon Web Services, that's fine. Um, so I think being the being the, uh, the arms dealer, uh, is a great place to be, um, being supplier agnostic. Um, so, in terms of the, the the things that we look for, that I guess you know validate our um, our hypothesis and ways in which we might see it differently, uh, we certainly pay a lot of attention to you know organic growth. You know, are, are they are they um, doing more things with their existing customers? Are they winning more customers? I mean, that's a validation that the business is is relevant to its marketplace, and if they're If their market share slips, well, that would be a very deep red signal. Um, Are they staying true to their iterative renovation and rotation to the new, or are they now throwing these big hall passes? That would be another red flag. Um, um, Are they they suffering from the price decay or the price competition that that might be a signal that what they're doing actually is not that special anymore? Um, Or are they being able to charge a lot for their services? Um, is it just a, you know, a rent a person model, um, mm-hmm. or are they able to grow their revenue per person, um, uh, which, which would be another sign that actually it's, um, yeah, there's, it's not IP rich service. Uh, so those are the things that we pay a lot of attention to. Um, the, look, in terms of how, how we, I, 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 sometimes, um, uh, ma- maybe the market, um, underestimates what's in front of, front of their eyes, if you like, that it's. Yeah, sometimes sometimes uh, Accenture's over many, many years grown uh, organically, which we mean in the absence of acquisitions about two times the rate of the broader economy or the rate at which their end market grows. Um, and that's pretty exciting. Um, but maybe while people get enamoured with the, the 15 20% growth rates of some businesses, you know, 7% or 8% growth doesn't seem that exciting. Um, but it's very uh, cumulative way over time. It does pretty amazing things, uh, particularly when it's profitable growth. Um, you're not having to take a, a fast-growing but unprofitable business and make big assumptions about what might come uh, in the future. Uh, it's also a very conservative business. They run with cash on the balance sheet. Um, mm-hmm. Their management team is very long-tenured. Um, we might say, well, you know, the people business, you know, all the assets go at the elevator every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, of their top 5,000 people, have an average tenure of 15 years with the business. Um, it gives you a sense of, well, people, yes. You know, uh, come here and stay a long time and build their careers uh, at Accenture. Um, so I, I think the the um, the ability for them to continue to uh, compound profitably at that rate and reinvest capital, uh, maybe it doesn't have the magic appeal of an e-commerce business or an enterprise or a you know exciting in, 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 as we speak at the moment, uh, a work from home beneficiary, if you like, that gets to the market very, very excited. Um, but that's fine. It, we, we can look back over a long period of time and and see that the businesses. Done what we expect, done what they promised, and you know, we don't have to make heroic assumptions about what the future might bring to feel confident that um, you know, they're going to continue on this very attractive wealth creation path that they've been on.
0: Mm. There are a few. There's so many things that we can talk about, Stephen. Unfortunately, we've got limited time. But w- one of the things that I wanted to, to touch on was, I guess, the, the transition to cloud-based resources. So you mentioned there that the business is almost, it's, it's agile, but it's still a, a, a blue chip business in itself. Um, so my understanding is that the business can take, like well, you said, it's agnostic, it can take AWS software, it can take what, whatever, um, and it can put that into a, its consulting uh, contracts and projects that it works on, and then it can outsource, I guess, the automated part of that um, to other countries where you know, maybe there, was, there is still some labor required. How do you think about it, and, and shifting gears seats of risks, how do you think about it in terms of the longer-term runway of that? Do you, do you think Accenture succumbs to, I guess, commoditization um, as more companies move to the cloud? Once they're there, you know, kind of what more can you do for me, Accenture? Is that, how, is that a fair and reasonable risk, do you think?
1: Yeah, look, it's a great, great question. And, and I think what the company has done, or one of the many things they've done well, is to continue to grow into more spending pools um, over time, that um, we're not just after your IT budget. Um, There's more things we can do for you, and that makes us more relevant. Uh, And a good example of that is over the last decade, they've built the world's largest uh, digital advertising and communication business. Um, And you might think, well, WPP and Omnicom and and the likes, uh, they own that market. Well, um, Accenture has built a $10 billion a year business through uh, organically and buying lots of businesses that have been very successful, and they, they piece that together and they might say to a Hyundai, "Look, you're, you know, your advertising communications increasingly digital. Uh, you want customers to be able to go online and build their own car and order it from you, um, or a retailer, you, you need an non- e-commerce proposition, and you need to be able to communicate that digitally." Um, so Accenture has grown into that. You know, that's a $10 billion a year out of a $45 billion um, uh, revenue line for the company. It's 20% of their uh, their revenue. It's very meaningful, and they've then so they're now when you say, well, what else can we do for you? That's been a a big answer to that. And now they're doing increasingly um, all the software and IT that goes around manufacturing, and they call it, I think, Accenture Operations 2.0. So increasingly, uh, as things on the factory floor get connected, to, to a, you know, if you like a central hub, then the security around that's important, the, the, data, the data retentions around that's important. So Accenture's growing into another, another revenue pool. Not only does that provide revenue growth, but it also helps to drive the point of engagement with the business higher up. So if I'm just, if you like, um, you know, solving IT needs, then there's a risk that I go from pitching to the CEO down to the, the, the chief technology officer, or at worst, the, the procurement guy. Um, because all he wants to talk about is price. Um, but if I'm doing more and more relevant things, and I'm um, uh, doing things outside of IT into manufacturing and communications, then it's a CEO level communic- a conversation, I'm relevant to the board of directors. Um, so they've done. That's another way that their their relevance has been an asset. It keeps them important at the very highest level of their their customer organisations, and grows their revenue pool into you know multiple dimensions.
0: How about when it comes to valuation? Because valuation is, you know, the, the, I guess the balance between risk and, and reward or potential reward. How do you think about the valuation of the business? What kind of work did your team do in that
1: respect? Yeah, well, I, I guess when you, when, you, there's, um, um, when you think about what's, what's this business worth, um, some of the considerations would be, well, how, how much capital does this business need to grow? Um, and the nice end of that is, not, is none. Um, because their customers pay them in advance. They don't, they don't build factories. Um, so it's a very capital-like business. Um, the second thing is um, how, how risky is this business? So that will inform the multiple that we apply to those, you know, each dollar of cash earnings. And, you know, when we think about the balance sheet, we'd say, well, you know, they, they don't have any debt. Um, so we'll call that a low-risk balance sheet. And when we think about management, um, are they you know, disciplined, judicious, Uh, in how they run the business and allocate capital would say, well, they're they're a low low risk management team. And then we think about the business. Is there signs of slippage here or are they continuing to do a good job of stay relevant and grow market share? So is it a low risk or a high risk business? And so across those three dimensions, then we we come up with a a positive appraisal of Accenture as a a low risk entity. Um, And then we turn our attention to growth. And we'd say, well, is this a business that can grow a bit faster than the market? Um, and how much is that worth? And all of that tells us that business is worth um, a premium to the market, um, we'd say a substantial premium, um, but we think that premium makes sense when we think about you know, r- risk and growth. And then the other, other I think, an important consideration to that is, well, a um, dollar of earnings or a dollar of cash flow is only worth what the company does with it. It's um, until they pay it as a dividend, they've got it. So are they at risk of um, you know, turning it into something less than a dollar by investing it in low-return projects or acquisitions, uh, which happens all too often, um, or actually more likely to re- reinvest it intelligently back into the business or, or acquisitions that actually enhance the value of the group. And so that the capital recycling or reinvestment or what management does with a dollar of cash question, uh, you know, we, uh, we feel very good about the answer to that and their ability to grow profitably and reinvest capital at high rates of return. So when you when you look at that, Stephen, are you,
0: if we could pinpoint a few metrics here, are you looking principally at things like return on invested
1: capital? Um, we, are we, 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 will look at, we do look at return on invested capital um, and we look at um, how stable it's been over time and what direction is it going as a bit of a clue to, as a cap- company, reinvest capital. Are they getting in, in more than what the business was generating last year or less than? Um, and um, how, how important is that to management or is management predisposed to and you know, get big quick, if you like, and do a big acquisition that so often ends in disappointment? Um, so, the, the, look, the return on investor capital is is very important. Um, the ability of the business to reinvest at you know, high rates of return and the and all of the ingredients that sort of preserve profitability and pricing power and their ability to and be engaged in highly relevant uh, IP-rich projects that are indicative of uh, the preservation of the high returns going forward um, are all important you know, soft and hard metrics for us. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I did some um,
0: crunching the numbers and I look back over time and I can see that just over the past five years, Accenture's been able to maintain return on investor capital between 40 and 50% each year. And which, we, when you think about that, that's as, as a metric that I tend to think about quite often. Um, that's a signal that there could be something here that's worth digging a little deeper into. Stephen, as we come to the back end of the, 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 the pitch, if you like, um, how do you think about position sizing? So when you initially got this idea, it went through the, uh, the investment process, you went through the process with your team. How do you then think about position sizing and moving into the company to build a full position?
1: Yeah, look, it's a a, um, very interesting question for us. As you touched on earlier, we we run a concentrated portfolio with a maximum of 15 stocks. Um, And the other thing that's uh, very much hardwired in for us is that we don't time the markets. We don't take cash to low and high levels, depending on about how we feel about the economy or markets in general. So across our $100 of investable capital, um, an average position size is going to be six to seven percent um, with 15 positions and so for a business office Accenture uh, we're comfortable having it today as if not our large among our largest positions and and, a, and we do have a maximum a hard ceiling of 10 percent so we can't have it larger than that. Um, Accenture is very close to that 10 percent limit today and that's a function of um, our confidence in the business's ability to continue to get more valuable. You know, ultimately, we, we talked about at the beginning, well, what are you, uh, if you own shares, what do you own? Well, we want to own businesses that become more valuable and um, where the risk of a disappointing outcome is low. And on both those questions, we feel very good about Accenture. Um, it's, a, it's a world-creating machine. You mentioned those high returns on investor capital. Uh, they, they, that's The foundations of those are all those attributes we talked about that make it a, a very special business. Um, and then the, the risk of competitive slippage or a, a very disappointing outcome uh, we think is low. Um, and then we feel good about the valuation. Absolutely, it trades at a premium to the market. Um, but the question to us is, does it trade at a premium to what it's worth? Mm. And on that score, we, we feel good about how it's priced today. So for those reasons, you know, it sits at the very high, highest end of our portfolio weights. Mm.
0: Just one little thing to tuck on the end there. When you think about the ideal Time horizon for holding a business, um, and maybe even reflecting now on the, the fund um, so far. You know, what's your view with when you start a position?
1: Typically, what how long would you like? I like to hold it ideally. Yeah, well, on, on the you know we we, we balance um, you know, price. Um, we also balance um, our, um, disconfirming evidence. So if a business is not um, uh, growing or showing the signs of the, the quality criteria that we look for, then we, we don't waste time in taking out of the portfolio. And we know that um, at any given point in time, there's businesses that in the future will, the competitive position will erode or management might turn out to be not as judicious as we thought. But for a business like Accenture, um, you know, we'll, we'll typically start a position for us at around 4% of the portfolio and over the course of the year build it higher, you know, price permitting um, as we if you like, and get a validation through the company's earnings results and our interactions with the company. Um, and for a business like Accenture, look, we wouldn't be in a hurry to take a position out uh, of the portfolio because and we'd be happy to own it for a very long time um, just because it has that um, in a nice, unusual combinations of um, underlying growth well in excess of the economy, um, a conservative management capital structure, um, the, ability, the ability, if you like, the, this. the in various tailwinds that are making the business even better, more valuable in you know, a large global organizations want to deal with fewer suppliers. So Accenture is in a good position as, as they think about, well, like I'll, I won't just use my um, Nordic IT supplier. Um, I want a global IT supplier um, and I've got, I want to re-engineer the IT, not just across a slice of my business, but across everything. Um, so Accenture sits on the right side of all of those structural changes or all those directional changes. Um, so, Mm. We like to own you know, positions for multiple years, and Accenture has all those nice attributes that uh, make it one that we're likely to continue to owning for mul- to mul- multiple years.
0: Yeah, great. I think that's a that's a wonderful overview of X- Accenture, Stephen, and um, the business case, and I guess the thesis behind it. Um, I know that our listeners can go um, to your website. A- a- <laughs> Aorus AM, I believe, to go and get more of, I guess, your latest thoughts and and to follow along with monthlies and quarterlies. Um, Is there anywhere else uh, or any other places that you would direct um, our listeners to? Um,
1: Look, to read read about a business like that, I'd always direct them to the annual report of the company and hearing how the company speaks to them. Um, The chairman's letter in particular uh, is always an important source of um, due diligence. It's always a first stop, if you like. Um, And to hear more about us... um, uh, AORIS, uh, aori uh, is a good place and hopefully there's some material uh, that's relevant to what people would like to discover about us.
0: Yeah, fantastic. And I'll put the links in the show notes to that. Uh, Stephen, as always, thanks for joining me on the show. Thanks, Owen. Thank you so much.